0: Hey everyone, it's the Daily Rios for June 26th, 2013. This is New Comics Wednesday, taking a look at everything that came to the comic stores today and giving you uh, my recommendations. We start with Dark Horse Comics putting out the original Daredevil Archives hardcover, Volume 1. Now, this is only four issues. I was trying to look for a page count. Now, this is the Golden Age Daredevil, not the Marvel Daredevil, but the Golden Age Daredevil. Um, Archives have always been more about, I guess, the page quality rather than quantity, so there are only four issues. But uh, I thought, you know, someone might, this is the one that throws a boomerang, and I think Dynamite might have put out uh, a couple uh, comics featuring this character. Uh, every now and then, a couple years back. Speaking of Daredevil, I read the Marvel Daredevil End of Days Limited series. This is by Brian Michael Bendis, David Mack, Klaus Jansen, Bill Sienkiewicz, Alex Malieve. Um, it was, it felt like it was their Dark Knight meets Citizen Kane by way of Watchmen. Uh, it was like a mashup of all, all of that. Everything that made. Uh, Daredevil grade and everything that made, you know, sort of those movies and those comics um, uh, what they are today. And it was an okay story. I didn't love it. Um, Some of the stuff I could figure out pretty early on. The artwork, though, jumped out at me every now and then, especially in terms of these two-page splash pages, uh, two-page spreads with uh, the Daily Bugle, and with Times Square, and that Times Square shot really makes me feel like it's, you know, that that was like an homage to Watchmen a little bit. Um, but there just was a lot of stuff in it, a lot of different interesting panel layouts. And then when they would go f- uh, to a flashback, like with, uh, to Kingpin, uh, Bill Sienkiewicz would break out his design and his style that he used for Electro Lives in the 80s. And, and I like that, I like that. Or um, David Mack would... Uh, populate some of the pages that featured Echo, right? The artwork would, would influence... Um, the artwork would mimic certain styles throughout the Daredevil era, you know? So I like that. That was kind of cool. But um, all in all, it was okay. So if anybody's read that, let me know what you think. Um, from DC, we have the first issue of Batman Superman with Greg Pak and Jay Lee. I'm not sure if it'll capture the fun of the Jeff Loeb, Ed McGuinness Superman, Batman title, the opening story arc of that title, which um, I think I've put out on Twitter, I'm re-watching, and sometimes watching for the first time, all of the direct-to-DVD DC animated movies. I just watched uh, Superman, Batman, Public Enemies. I'm up to there. I'm also doing it in order. So I started with Superman Doomsday, and now I'm up to Superman, Batman, Public Enemies. Saw it the other day. Uh, Saw it for the second time. I've seen it before. And it's loosely based, well, it is based on the first five or six issues of the Jeff Loeb Superman Batman, although the, uh, some of the stuff is left out and the ending's a little different. I wasn't fond of it initially, but as I watched it on this uh, second viewing, especially after watching the the animated movies that led up to it, it, it actually is holding up. I'm surprised. I'm not a fan of the Power Girl design and some of the other designs because it's trying to mimic... Ed McGuinness's style, I don't know, it's a little rough, doesn't come across as well uh, as an animated style, but it's great having the original voice actors back, brought over from the DC Animated Universe uh, TV stuff, you know, Kevin Conroy and all the others for Superman, Batman, and Lex Luthor, and the story is great. Um, It's better than I remember the first time watching it, which is cool. So I think once I'm caught up with all of these movies, I might do another report card, like I did with uh, the Marvel Now stuff. Uh, it'll probably just be a visual, because um, some of them are decent, and some are starting to be forgettable, which is surprising. Although up next is uh, the Justice League Crisis on Two Earths, I think it's called, which I remember being awesome the first time I saw it, so I'm looking forward to seeing that again. Also from DC, the first issue of Larfleas by Keith Giffen and Scott Collins. If ever there was a character not created by Giffen, that would be a perfect Fiction suit for him. This is it. And from Vertigo, Unwritten Issue 50. I remember reading the first volume of that series on a CGS Book of the Month and had some listeners and some feedback saying, you know, they doubted that that series would last as long. But here it is, Unwritten 50, Mike Carey, Peter Gross, Mark Buckingham. And this is the start of the Unwritten Fables crossover with that title. From IDW, we have the John Byrne FF Artist Edition hardcover, and uh, with a sample of his work from, from his FF run, I have the Daredevil Born Again one. I still haven't cracked it, op- it open. It's in its original box, and I have no real place to shelve it. I think that's the curse of oversized books. I want them, but I have nowhere to put them. So look for that. If you enjoy uh, looking at uh, re, re- uh, original art, you know, repurposed for for that format. From Image, a bunch of titles that are continuing. Bounce number two, Jupiter's Legacy number two by Mark, Mark Miller and uh, Frank Quitely. Uh, that one will probably be a bi-monthly book, if not a tri-monthly book. I'm buying it for the artwork more than anything. We have Morning Glories 28, Profit 36, Sex, Joe Casey's Sex number four. And then we have The Change Trade Paperback, story by Alice Cott, Art by Morgan Jeske, Sloan Leong, and Jordi Belair. And the blurb here is, Dear Los Angeles, meet Apocalypse. You have one day left. Unless, of course, someone decides to save you. Possible saviors include a foul-mouthed, struggling, uh, a foul-mouthed, struggling screenwriter who moonlights as a car thief, an obscenely wealthy rapper, a dying cosmonaut on his way back to Earth, and one very deranged little boy. Good luck. If you want to learn more about the series over at thechemicalbox.blogspot.com, I'll put a link in the show notes, Sean Starr has an interview with writer Alice Cott, not only on Change, but also on his Wild Children one-shot, which came out from Image a bunch of months back, and just other stuff in comics in general, and um, his process. Um, I remember reading the premise for Change in previews months ago, and saying, that really looks interesting. And a lot of what Alice Scott has to say, I, I like. I like what he has to say about comics, and, and he'll be an interesting voice. He's doing Suicide Squad right now for DC, so I'll post the link, check it out. I look forward to reading it in full. And then for Marvel, uh, the Marvel Now stuff I'm interested in, all-new X-Men 13, Avengers Arena 11, Captain America 8. Guardians of the Galaxy 4, Hawkeye 11, Nova 4, Uncanny X-Men number 7. That's a lot of Marvel. And that's not even counting the ones I'm not getting. It was a big week this week for all comics. Also, uh, Fantastic Four 8, or Future Foundation 8. And I'm actually in the middle of catching up on Fantastic Four and FF. I'm not necessarily feeling the main book, but I really do like the Future Foundation stuff with um, Matt Fraction and Mike Allred just something about that book. It's quirky, it's fun. I like the way it's paced out. It feels a little more matte Fraction-y than the Fantastic Four book does. Um, also from Marvel, Star-Lord, Hollow Crown, trade paperback collecting his first appearances in Marvel Preview Number 4, Marvel Preview 11, and Star-Lord Special Edition. Most of that stuff from, I think, the late 70s and some of it from the early 80s. So this is going back to the Chris Claremont, John Byrne stuff and uh, other creators So look for that. It's a small little collection. It's only like $7.99. We have Clockworks hardcover. This is from Humanoids. London, 1897. A series of mysterious deaths on the shipping docks have an ex-Scotland Yard officer, officer on the hunt for clues. What he uncovers is a war between a huge corporation and a renegade group of individuals fighting for an energy source that could control the world, and that powers the very robotic machines called clocks being used to fight this epic battle. It's a collaboration between American authors Jason Henderson and Tony Salvaggio and French illustrator Jean-Baptiste Hostache, something like that, Uh, and they're calling it a, a steampunk thrill ride. So check that out, $29.95. And also look for Homesick, the graphic novel by Jason Walls, for $15.99. As Jason faces increasing panic attacks and the threat of losing his mom to cancer, one lost and forgotten cosmonaut struggles with the realities of facing his own end. As As their lives charge toward their own grim realities, the boundaries that separate them begin to fade away. And I'll have links up for both of those works.
1: In 1946, an ultimate weapon was used to end the Second World War. It gave birth to a horrifying new age. This is the story of the Kaiju Age. Follow the journey of one journalist as he teams up with a retired CIA operative to uncover the truth about the monsters and the events that will ultimately culminate in a Third World War. The Great Kaiju War. See Tokyo's destruction. Witness the aerial battle of Modra and Razorbeak over New York. Explore the formation of the Kaiju Science Task Force and discover its secret mission and witness the utter chaos of the Cuban monster crisis when two beasts lay waste to an entire nation. World War Kaiju is both a satire of the Cold War paranoia and a love letter to the Kaiju genre pioneered by the likes of Ishiro Honda and Eiji Subaria Written by author Josh Finney with Mike Colbert, and illustrated by Patrick McAvoy of Arkham Horror fame, World War Kaiju promises a reading experience unlike anything you've encountered, in glorious widescreen. What we are asking from you is this. We need a total of $15,000 to pay the artist to finish the book and then cover the cost of printing. That said, we have two critical stretch goals that can and will make the project that much better. If we can exceed the initial goal and raise $25,000, we will finish and include part two of the series. In essence, this will double the size of the book with no additional cost to you. Now if we hit the $35,000 mark, and this is the big one, we will be able to include parts one, two, and three. That's right, your book will contain over 200 pages of story for the exact same $25 you paid for the book. Now we've got some other higher stretch goals as well as some amazing incentives. We ultimately want to produce bull mark style figures of the World War Kaiju monsters. Also with World War Kaiju, we introduce the concept of interactive incentives, meaning most of the items you can get will enhance your enjoyment of the book. The posters, the games, The Intel Guide. These are all artifacts from the World War Kaiju setting that give you a deeper insight into the story universe. Thank you for listening. Now, let's make this happen.
0: That's World War Kaiju. Over on CGS, uh, they put out episode 1390 which is a look at several Kickstarter projects, including World War Kaiju, and also Dave Wachter for Guns of Shadow Valley and Kevin Volo's Max and Thorn. I actually got an a comment on the website when I posted several Kickstarter video uh, blurbs, video promos. I pulled the audio and put put them out a couple Fridays back. And Patrick McAvoy of World War Kaiju. He wrote, thanks for featuring the Kickstarter. I'm doing the art for that one. I'm really proud of it. It's fun and funny and just an awesome thing to be involved in. So that was cool. That was cool that um, he saw that uh, You know, I was help- trying to give it a little bit of love. So check that out. Check out, check out that Kickstarter. I think you might like what you see. Also, um, I got my first review copy, which is something I wasn't really doing here for the Daily Rails, but I got a review copy of Rassel, Jeff's Smith's Rassel, uh, his sci-fi adventure series that he's been doing for uh, the past number of years. I remember originally reading, I don't know, maybe about 6 or 7 issues and because of the pacing of the book, it took a while between each issues. I said, you know what? I think I really need to read this in a collection, which is something I also did with Bone. And I got the opportunity to get a review copy, a proof copy of Rassel, and I I have I flipped through it. There's some color pages in it. I think this um, hardcover collection that they're putting out is, is color. And the rest of it is in black and white, and I look forward to reading it all in one. It's like over 400 pages. Um, and it has, you know, some string theory stuff in it, and time travel, and dimensions, and different dimensions, and crazy aliens, and um, it looks cool. It looks fun. It, you know, initially, as I said, it, the story was taking a little bit of time to, to win me over, but I think reading it as a whole will be good. So... Look for that. I'm sure I'll point it out when it actually hits stands um, from Cartoon Books, and I really do appreciate them sending the book in, so I'll have to do a review of it uh, at some point. And lastly, before I go, I've been getting some reactions from yesterday's top five episode on geek culture idolatry, and I just want to reiterate the point that it's not about those five particular choices and what they have done and what might make them um your geek representative or not so regardless of my you know improv passionate attack especially to Chris Hardwick Hardwick um it's really the the stuff that i was talking about around those um top 5 choices it, it was basically i needed those examples to kind of prove a larger point which is how our combined reactions to them sometimes put out a perception that you know they are our kings and queens and and I think there's more to it than that you know I think there's more to us as fans uh, of some of their work and some of their some of what um, we all enjoy right um, that's kind of why I called it you know geek culture idolatry you know they're they're, they're not they don't necessarily need to be held up as the idols of our um, particular demographic, you know. But, so sure, you know, I, I totally understand Patton Oswalt's geek mashup rap well, might be fun. Um, Simon McDonald wrote in and said uh, the Oswalt rant was great because it was completely ad-libbed. He was shooting a scene for Parks and Recreation and they told him to filibuster and he just went off on the whole mashup thing. Was it pretty original? No, but fun nonetheless. Which, I say, you know, Simon, yes, I totally understand that. It was a chance for him to unleash and uh, work his comedic chops and be recorded. Um, But, you know, there's probably a thousand other people who, over the decades, who did the same thing, and they just never were in that position to be recorded. So, the way it's held up is more of what I was pointing at, right? I, I can understand the coolness of it for people, but it shouldn't be held up as our, you know, like it's our Kubla Khan, you know it's, it's just something that geeks do, and it just happened to be recorded. And, and I'm sure there's probably pl- plenty other people who could do the same thing. So And then Star Wars, um, MJ of the Nerd Goggles podcast wrote, and she's one of her comments in the email was, um, "Star Wars, what can I say? It is a part of my geek culture, mainly because I grew up with it from the get-go, like Superman. It's ingrained in my DNA." And to which I say, you know, I totally get the DNA thing. Somewhere in my notes, actually, is a topic about what is in your DNA, what's in your comic book DNA, um, or your geek DNA. And I would be a fool to argue that Star Wars' importance or its place in the grand scheme of things should be denied. uh, And that's not really what I'm saying. To the original point, what I'm saying is it's not the geek Bible, right? Um, Think of when somebody's comes up to you and they say, "Oh, well, you must like you like geek stuff, so of course you like Star Wars, right?" Well, I mean, sure, I've seen the movies, I've read some comics, I've read some novels, but I'm a fan of much much more, right? Star Wars is not a defining element for all geeks, and that's really the point, you know, that that yes, there is a super large contingency that follow Star Wars and love Star Wars, and it is everything, it made them geeks, it turned them into geeks. I totally agree with that, or I mean, I totally understand that, but that's not the point. It's sort of the perception going the other way when people then want to say in a generalized way, well, if you're a geek, then you must love Star Wars. No, that's that's just not true. So, um... I also got a comment on the website, Sean Story uh, left uh, you know a bunch of thoughts and um, one part of his comment says, maybe you should be listing the five media outlets that continue to go to the same people for comment or comic related stories or for comment on comics related stories. That's a little harder because most of those sites are by us. They're by people like us. You know, As I said yesterday. We're the ones who retweet these things and we're the ones who reblog them on Twitter and we share them on websites or Facebook because it's the latest geek thing and we want to, you know we want to put it out there so everyone sees it which is fine and cool. you know I still believe though that um, while we're enjoying these things we don't have to hold them up as the zenith of of our geekdom, right? You know, I mean, I, I still think what, what we as individuals bring to all of it should be more important and, and should be held with more weight. And yes, it's awesome to to pick out when um, there was that Dr. Horrible thing and when, um, I don't know, Neil Patrick Harris does something. You know, like, I get it. I get the the wanting to to be in the middle of it and to talk about it and have fun with it great, that's cool, and it's, like I said, it's not about necessarily the individuals themselves, and it's not about the work. It's about the perception outside of it that then goes, hey, you know, this is why we are geeks. And it's like, well, you know what? No, that's not why I'm, That's not why I'm not a geek. And I'm sure there's more people that are like that as well, that are like, no, you know what? Chris Hardwick doesn't define me, and Kevin Smith doesn't define what I enjoy and like, and Star Wars isn't what I enjoy and like. So we had some other quick hits of comments on the episode of people who um, I have to assume felt the same thing that I did, uh, either with the top five or with someone else that they can think of, or just the overall concept in general. You know, on Twitter I had like Zelfred and uh, Sean Pryor and Josh. Um, I, I, I really, it all just again, it all goes down to um, we all can create these wonderful things and and sharing in that community is awesome and i'm i'm not even making the point that they that art can't be judged or or art is subjective you know or that there's no such thing as good art or bad, bad art that's a completely different topic it's just that these individuals and these concepts just because they are part of the geek culture they are not uh, the defining part for all of us you know don't get stuck under the golden calf is basically what i'm saying <laughs> because i'm sure it doesn't smell good under there Alright, peter at com. Visit the website. Leave an iTunes review. I will see you tomorrow.